You're listening to Plug In to Health with Prevea Health, exploring healthcare topics that matter to you, the latest developments in health and medicine, and the inspiring stories that emerge from Prevea Health, our partners, and the communities we serve. Stroke is the fifth leading cause of death and a leading cause of disability in the United States. It can happen to anyone at any age, men and women of all races. Last year, Prevea Health's HSHS hospital partners throughout Northeast Wisconsin cared for more than 600 people for stroke. Dr. Allison Nohara is a neurointerventional radiologist for Prevea Health. She's on the front lines of stroke care at HSHS St. Vincent Hospital in Green Bay, a comprehensive stroke center and a leader in stroke care. We've asked Dr. Nohara here today to help shed some light on what we all need to know about stroke as May marks National Stroke Awareness Month. Dr. Nohara, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's start out with what it means to have a stroke. Can you explain in the simplest terms what's happening inside someone's body when they're experiencing a stroke? So um, the reason that people have strokes is um, 90% of the time it's because they lack blood flow to the brain. And so what that manifests as is dysfunction um, of the brain. So people stop the whatever part of the brain um, is affected, that function stops. Most most commonly, we see one side of the body not working. Um, we see the arm and the leg not um, not moving the way it's supposed to. We see the face drooping, and therefore uh, people can have slurred speech or no speech. Um, sometimes it also manifests. It can um, if it's in a different part of the brain, it can manifest as dizziness, uncontrolled dizziness, and an inability to control your body in the normal fashion. So that you you know when you're walking, for example you're kind of teeter-tottering and you're you're kind of bouncing around and hitting walls and things like that um, so from a from how the patient sees that to how um, you know what we see is the physiology of it that's generally the um, case the interesting thing about stroke unlike its correlates with like heart attack and things like that where people hurt where they're in physical pain when they're having their symptoms most of the time the patient having the stroke is the brain wants to ignore its symptoms and not pay attention to what's happening. So it's usually the bystander. Um, I've had as young as a five-year-old child be the one calling 911 uh, for their mother uh, when they were having the stroke because the mother was in complete denial that she was having the stroke and the son saw that the mom couldn't talk. So um, it's interestingly, it doesn't hurt. Um, and so we go into the emergency room and you'll see everybody in the room with the patient ha- that's having the heart heart attack or the trauma because they're screaming and crying and you know hurting and in quietly um, having the stroke and um, suffering is the stroke patient who's getting who's not doing all those things and therefore can be missed and I think that's the reason to be more aware of how stroke can present yeah, in as many different forms absolutely and there's a, a great acronym that you can use to help recognize stroke we're going to get into that in just a little bit I know there's um you know, different types of stroke. What is the most common type and how do you treat it? 
So the most common type, about approximately 90%, a little, you know, um, somewhere between 80 and 90% of stroke is where the brain lacks blood flow. So a blood clot of some nature or a narrowing of the blood vessel is re- depriving the brain of its nutrients of oxygen and sugar. Um, and that is the most common form of stroke. There is a smaller um, type of stroke, a hemorrhagic stroke, which is a bleeding type of stroke where the blood vessel is actually putting blood into the brain. And obviously we have a skull and that that's taking, you know, that, that bleeding is taking space and then pushing pressure on the other part of the brain. But that's the, by far the minority of stroke. Mostly it's, you know, where we our heart is not beating right and there's we send a clot up to the brain, a blood clot up to the brain. And time, time is critical in retrieving that clot. Correct. Can you explain a little bit more? So every minute that our, our brain is deprived of oxygen, about a million neurons die. Um, I, I joke around with my kids, you know, um, that I need every neuron possible, but, um, clearly we have a lot of redundancy in the system, but that's a ton of, that's a lot of neurons dying every minute that we go without blood flow. Now there are, um, so time is of the essence. The faster we can get the patient in to recognition and treatment, the less, the less neurons die, the faster their recovery, the faster their improvement, and the more whole their improvement will be. But it doesn't mean that if somebody, if you don't know when somebody started having their stroke, that you shouldn't do anything about it. Because we actually now have technology to help us to determine whether or not there is tissue that's, um, that we can salvage. Um, and that has the, been the biggest um, impact, you know, research impact in stroke care is actually our imaging capabilities have improved to the point that we now can, you know, it's not so strict in terms of time window. Like I said, the mantra is absolutely time is brain and the faster you get in, the faster we can recognize and treat it, the better off your outcome. But even in the, um, in the rare chance that you have somebody who you have no idea when their symptoms start, that should still be the, uh, you should still get in quickly and um, for treatment because we can still potentially do stuff for you. So as a neurointerventional radiologist, part of your role when someone is having that more common type of stroke that involves that that blood clot that's that's blocking the the blood flow to the brain, part of your role is to go in and retrieve that clot. Is that correct? That is correct. So the um, there are kind of two kind of big ways that we treat, um, you know, this form of stroke called ischemic stroke or lack of blood flow. Um, and one of them is we, we use um, medicines that break up the blood clot so we can put that through the IV and do that right at the bedside. But the, um, the big advance has been that we can actually physically go up there and do kind of in a very similar way that our our cardiology um, compatriots um, go up for um, heart attack, and we can actually remove the clot, whether we suck it out or we pull it out, uh, or we, you know, open up a vessel because it's it's closed from a plaque or things like that, just like they do in the heart with the stents. Um, we open the blood flow and we return and restore blood flow to the brain, which then restores the function. Um, and we use our, you know, a biplane um, angiography suite to do that. We use catheters from the groin. So uh, people always ask me, like, well, how, well, how do you get in there? Um, we're a little salmon sw- swimming up the stream from the from the groin. Um, it's pretty cool with a um, with a less than a centimeter incision that we can do major surgery on somebody um, brain and restore. You know, I think it. I do have. I always tell people I have the cool job in the hospital. I can take people that are having their worst day and have them walk out of the hospital. Uh, During COVID, we actually coined the term of outpatient stroke, where we were taking people in 
um, who are coming in with, you know, not moving one side of their body and not talking, and literally within 24 hours being discharged. It's not everybody, but we, we you know, we moved that pretty quickly because we wanted to get people, the, um, this patient population generally, not always, but generally is a um, slightly older population. We wanted to get them out of harm's way with, um, in terms of exposure to COVID as um, we had a lot of COVID patients in the hospital during high COVID. Thankfully, mm-hmm. that is um, starting to improve. Sure. Um, absolutely remarkable what, what you're able to do. Let's go back to being able to recognize the signs and symptoms of stroke. Um, as you said, you know, we want to emphasize this because time is critical in treating stroke. So what are we looking for, whether it's in ourselves or our loved ones, where we might suspect they could be having a stroke? So we use an acronym called BEFAST, um, B-E-F-A-S-T. Um, it used to just be FAST because that was the fa- um, for F for facial droop, so a facial asymmetry where one part of the face is not working. It generally, if you're looking at somebody, um, their speech is going to sound a little bit slurred, uh, maybe like they're a little bit like they're drunk because the cheek isn't working very well, which means the tongue um, butts, goes up against that cheek. So that's one way to know, you know, because everybody, we, a lot of us have a little bit of facial asymmetry and it's always like, well, is that really? But if you have somebody who you think is doing that and you ask them to smile and they can't on one side, then that's very clearly um, facial asymmetry. Um, we then look at the arms. You have them lift their arms up and see if they can actually do that. Um, they're varying. Obviously, you go from not being able to do that at all to where it can come up, but then it immediately falls, and that's a weakness. Um, we do, um, and then we talk about speech. And we just said that you know with the facial droop, we can have some slurring of speech. But what we're really looking at is can somebody say their name? Are they actually, you know, are they making sense when they're talking to you? Uh, you know, you know, and these can be simple questions like what's got, what's the color of the sky? And if they say, you know, and they come up with nothing, then you know that something, you know, most of us know that the sky is supposed to be blue. <laughs> so most of us can come up with that. So you can go with stupid questions or seemingly stupid questions because there is no stupid question when you're really trying to figure out whether somebody is actually able to make speech. And then obviously the T is for time. Um, and that is, you know, we want you to get, as we talked about just earlier, we want you to get quickly to um, to the medical professionals. We added recently added the uh, the B and the E to this, and the B and the E is to actually look at the back of the brain. And I kind of talked about this a little bit when we first started talking, which is the back of the brain is kind of where we have our balance center. So B is for balance difficulty. If you try, if the person is walking and they're kind of really wide based and they can't, you know, they're kind of swinging um, and they're not walking straight, that is a balance issue and then eye changes looking at how somebody's looking at you is one eye looking at you and then the other one is off to the side that is not normal so double vision if it's not if it's something new is obviously a very concerning factor be fast uh, something good for all of us to remember thank you for going over that most people think strokes only happen to grandparents or people who are more mature in age that's just not the case no, it's not. It, like I said, um, it, it is commonly to be in our elderly patients because of um, something that we call atrial fibrillation, where the heart is beating irregularly, which happens more in our elderly population. But I've seen stroke all the way down into um, childhood. Um, thank goodness it does not happen that often in our kids, but it can happen as, you know, we start seeing, um, you know, it seems like it gets a little bit younger every um, every so often. And, um, you know, starting at age 40, we can start seeing strokes. I've seen um, 
women um, after birth, uh, you know, after pregnancy and things like that, because again, of clot formation that can occur. Um, so it can happen anytime. And so it is important to know the signs and symptoms so that you can get treated um, quickly. And anything that puts you more at risk for having a stroke? Well, obviously, the um, the things that we can do something about, hypertension is probably the number one issue that we worry about. Um, but smoking, uh, base, you know, alcohol, uh, you know, things like that. Obviously, we just talked about some of the, the you know, situational uh, changes. Pregnancy is a, um, it can um, increase your uh, frequency, you know, tra- trauma. Um, so somebody who's in a car accident or has some injury to their neck, I've seen some people who have had neck manipulations, for example, that can um, can tear their vessels rather than just have a blood clot, and that can cause stroke as well. When you say hypertension, do you mean blood pressure there? Yes. Is that blood pressure. So, so thank so, you. I'm, I, I keep talking <laughs> medical terms. That's my job. That's why we do this together. We all have our, our own, um, you know, talents, so our, to speak. Our, our lingos. I wish I had your talents, but... Um, so just to go over those again, I see risk factors for stroke. Um, you mentioned, you know, smoking, high blood pressure, alcohol consumption, um, things like stress, diabetes, obesity, an unhealthy diet, um, and age genetics, gender, and race can also play a factor. Correct. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about COVID-19. I mean, it's hard to talk about anything these days without mentioning COVID-19. How has COVID-19 impacted the risk factors for stroke? So it actually has a, um, a it can actually increase the risk for clotting. Um, and so we have seen, um, we've either had the blessing or the curse of having a lot of COVID stroke. Um, so I've treated a lot of stroke. It's different from your average stroke. Um, it happens at a younger age. It can happen both in the arterial, um, the, the, the blood um, vessels that take the blood to the brain. It can also happen in the veins that return that blood to the heart. Um, in either way, it can cause that lack of blood flow to the brain, which is what we're worried about. Um, and so it, um, it increases that risk. Usually, uh, kind of interestingly, many of these have been in our younger patients and people that have had COVID almost asymptomatically. Um, so we, um, if you're really super sick, I've seen this in the, you know, I've seen COVID have a stroke in the hospital, much harder to deal with because of so much else. So, you know, they're super sick and they're in the hospital ICU level, and it makes it much dif- more difficult to um, treat. The patients that come in from the street with a stroke and COVID um, that, you know, typically they're like, oh, I didn't even know I had it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it was two weeks ago and that I had that little cold or that little, um, mm-hmm. that little respiratory issue. And so it seems like it's almost in the recovery phase of, um, of COVID that we start to see uh, the increase in the blood clotting um, and, and causing the strokes. Why would a, a disease like COVID-19 maybe increase your risk for stroke why how does that work because it um it actually attaches to the platelets and it actually increases clotting and Mm. we're not you know what the actual mechanism of this is is very difficult you know this is you know higher science than i'm uh, (laughs) as you said we all have our our, um, places and (laughs) i'm not a hematologist but uh we know that it affects the endothelium of the lung it's affecting um it's binding and infecting the blood cells we know that uh heme groups make a difference we know that um 
and we know that it can increase um, the risk. We know that our clotting factors go way up in the midst of COVID. Um, a blood test that we do called a D-dimer goes way high, showing that we're having a, um, a massive clotting cascade going on. And there's blood, you know, one of the things that happens in the lung, it, this is part of the um, the lung issues, is, is that it's clotting off the lung as well. So it's not just the brain that is doing this too, it's everything. But obviously the brain is very sensitive, as we talked about, very sensitive to a lack of blood flow. About a quarter of every heartbeat of what we put out of our heart is destined to go to the brain. So 25% of all of our oxygen and sugar that we take in is intended to go to the brain. So our brain mass is about three pounds. So if you can imagine, I'm not three pounds, I'm a lot more than that. And uh, so it's just amazing the metabolic demand that the brain has. So you can, and I just, um, we talked about how many brain cells die every minute it's deprived of oxygen. So it's a very sensitive system that um, if you just take a little bit away from it, it really suffers quite significantly. So if you are if you are treating, you're caring for a patient who's having a stroke related to to COVID, are you finding that the way you you offer them treatment um, it is different than the way you would to somebody who doesn't have COVID. Does that impact the way you treat at all? Absolutely not in the in the moment of the treatment, because obviously we just talked about time being so critical. We move very very quickly. We do not hesitate. We do we do. Um, uh, um, test every patient for those the, that lab test that I just talked about as well as COVID to see to just because we want to make sure any um, when we when this started we said anybody below 60 because that's you know um, less likely for somebody under the age of 60 to have a stroke de novo um, and so we would um, we would just do, now we're doing all patients coming in with stroke or getting tested for COVID and for this um, this clotting issue um, and then we just take them and we treat them um, post treatment we obviously isolation and in the ICU um, you know treatment um, and making sure that their you know that their COVID symptoms are not you know peaking up and things like that and like I said for the most part stroke comes as kind of like the aftermath of COVID so the the high co the COVID pulmonary issues are pretty much already kind of Done. Um, so really, it becomes just our, how how we standardly treat patients with the precautions of of COVID and mm -hmm. mask wearing and things like that with them. Sure. Um, you see firsthand the devastation that stroke can cause to people's lives. Any final thoughts for our listeners on the importance of recognizing stroke, whether it be in ourselves or our loved ones? Well, what I would say is that you know. Um, my parents are in the you know in their mid 80s at this point and you know this is a disease that you know if you were to look it does take um, it really does hit our elderly um, but I will tell you you talked you know they're very healthy otherwise and if I were to say you know they they will tell me that they've lived good lives and that they don't they don't fear dying but what they fear is they fear being a, a burden to their family. They fear being left in a state where they're aware and they're conscious of the fact that they can't function the way they want to function. And they're at the age where they don't really want to be that diminished. Um, so stroke takes away the the quality of our life. And um, and so when you talk about it being, um, you know, it's, it is the leading cause of disability. Uh, um, it may not kill you, uh, you know, it's the fifth 
leading cause of death, but it leaves you maimed. And so by treating, you know, do we get it, do we do the home run every single time? The answer is no. We but we every time we take two or three points off of the scale of severity off of that, we improve the function and the quality of that life very significantly. Taking somebody and making them be able to walk and to be able to use their arm or to be able to talk is just at least understand speech is super important because it means that they're with the program and they're with their families and they can go back home um, which is obviously our goal is to always get people back to as high a functioning as we possibly can and I do put a shout out to all of the therapists out there because um, they do a tremendous job of of that mission um, in terms of the ones that we can't get 100% back, they will take from there and they make them even better. And so if you can have function in a limb that you didn't have function in, my therapists and the therapists that are around, they can, they can really work on that little bit that you get and get it even better. You've provided some really valuable information. Thank you so much for, for being here. I know you're busy. And most of all, thank you for what you're doing for our patients. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners. For more information about stroke, please visit provea.com slash stroke. You've been listening to Plug Into Health with Provea Health. To learn more and to submit ideas for future shows, please visit provea.com slash podcast. And please remember, the information provided in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to replace interactions with your healthcare professional. And if you are concerned about your healthcare, you should consult with your healthcare professional. You can learn more about Prevea Health at Prevea.com. Thank you for choosing to plug into health with Prevea Health.